0: Let's pray. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for the week we've had. We're grateful for uh, the thoughts you have put before us, and we'd ask that we would deal with them honestly and apply those things that can be and are beneficial to our lives, especially to our children, Lord, and to their children. We'd ask that we'd be the beginning of, of many descendants who are serving your kingdom in your son's name, Amen. Amen okay tonight the you know the sometimes i I'm weak on sometimes motif you know you have something will tie it together you know the, the something of true religion the other thing of true adult uh, the true bit and thought we, we knew that we were working up to what we were going to have to face with adolescence in, uh, in, in advice, and it really wasn't that those things didn't exist the affection, the discipline, the religion and the, uh, the height but um, it really is a time where you find out mm, what you'd done before was right or wrong and if wrong, how wrong uh, and what are you going to do about it or what you should be, even if you did it absolutely right, what are you looking for because new stuff, really new stuff comes up, you're young enough to remember that new stuff showing up voice changing and going to the mall. Um, when we, uh, it's uh, the, the proverb that we quoted another night, I forget which one, and, and some people again think it has to do with professional training, it's the Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not depart from it. Probably overquoted, uh probably used in every child rearing, um, especially as you get into the neo agrarians and the patriarchal types, they they all love that love that verse. Uh, it's a good verse, it's the Bible, it's wisdom, it's Solomon. Um, but whatever whether or not it's about professionalism, it, it's a truism about everything. Um, the truism has to do with this. If you do, he won't. Did he? You didn't. So if you do, if you train him up, he won't depart from it. If he departs from it, you didn't. It's just a, a simple equation of you probably could set up a square of opposition and the laws of logic applied to it, and you'd end up with that. Um, but we are, we're not entirely black and white about these things. We know that what every kid is different every family situation? What if parents became Christians midway through their rearing of children? uh, And they're just out of the blue, they're trying to learn what to do, or they became Christians after their children were grown. All sorts of things happen, or they were surprised by not having a degree of wisdom what to do about an emo kid, or someone who cuts themselves, or something like that. You know, what, what do you do with someone who's got some sort of neuroses about washing their hands. Well, we didn't cover any of the OCD or, or uh, issues of ADHD or um, drugging your kids, all those things that are, are, are topics. So we know that even, even though you could be about this with every intention of being, the Christian you ought to be, the adult you ought to be, the loving parent you ought to be, the disciplinarian you ought to be, um, there's going to be shades of this. But if you know what the principles are, uh, what you ought to have done or ought to have covered, hindsight's going to be helpful in the sense you won't be able to change it, but you'll know. You'll, you'll look at an end result of an insecure child who, who didn't seem to get enough affection, even though it was equal to the other kid's affection because they were an affection sponge. What they had internalized was, was very doubting of the parent and so they needed a lot more hugs, and you didn't know that, so you didn't do that. You're you're going to be dealing with some variables. But we want to know what the constants are, whether or not the variables are um, acknowledged or excused or whatever else. This is still true. If it doesn't happen, if you didn't address it, if you didn't respond to it to the degree you could have, their action in response to that is um, um, to not stay close to what you were, you were trying to image for them. Now, so it's helpful for us to have some place to go is to find out what, if we're testing the true, if we're looking at what true success is at the end of child-rearing, what's the guide? What's the, what could you say is biblically expectable? past which, if you've got more than that, they're not only this, this, and this, or this, but they're a doctor, uh, or plus they you know, marry really well, or whatever the, the, the other goods are. The things you can expect, uh, what we look at as the idea that is in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 1. Saying is sure, short, if anyone aspires to the office of bishop, he desires a noble task. Now, a bishop must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, sensible, dignified, hospitable, an apt teacher, no drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, and no lover of money. Bold type. I think it's the original. Paul wrote it. Bold. He must manage his own household well, keeping his children submissive and respectful in every way. For if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how can he care for God's church? I think the King James has the word rule their household. It's probably closer to manage. Uh, I looked up the word uh, proistomy, It means to stand before, to preside over. Um, I am presiding over the bloodline seminar. And uh, I either am doing it well or do. I, I have the task of whatever the bloodline seminar is supposed to accomplish, I have the task of captaining that ship But it's supposed to be you have to do it it well and two qualities in the kids have to be arrived at. Submissive and respectful. And something passed over in that in every way. Not on occasion and not in front of the board of deacons and not in front of your mother-in-law just and not just when grandma gives them a present. But submissive and respectful in every way. That this is down to the well of their being. It's how they respond to life. The deacons, likewise, it says down in verse 12, and let them manage their children and their households well. Doesn't give any details, any qualities, but you know that management, government, what we've been talking about, putting things in motion that you thought out and you're imposing on the situation from the authority God gave you, um, It has to be done well. In Titus, when he goes back to bishops again, there in bold, it says, his children are believers and not open to the charge of being profligate or insubordinate. For a bishop, God's steward must be blameless. Okay? And you say, well, well, Evan, we're not bishops. All we're saying here is not that you ought to be because it says you desire a noble task if you do, but if you become a bishop, or if you look at any biblical standard that said, what is possible with good management? If I'm a good parent, wise enough, godly enough, what is possible? What can you expect of someone who has those management skills? You can expect five things. Submission, respect, believing, believing, I I I have to switch because I can't do three this way because my hands too fat. I can't reach my little finger with my thumb, so I have to go like that. Three (laughs) believers, they are not profligate and they're not insubordinate. Three are positive, two are negative. They're submissive and respectful in every way. You don't see they, they believe in every way, but they are believers. They are Christians. Um, the uh, what we have here is uh, a shift, and I want to be have it be clear in your head that it is not a judgment of the godliness of the parent. We saw that with the Old Testament. We saw Eli godly, Samuel godly, David godly. Rotten kids, almost to the you know crossboard. Godliness and even in the, those are the old testament new testament people we know that your godliness that your coming to christ and being in the lord is a grace and faith situation the shift to success that lies between your personal spirituality which is by grace and faith and an adequate wisdom which is by thought is the arena in which this seminar tries to stand there's a shift between spirituality and knowing what you're doing. All it says about a bishop is that he knows what he's doing. And it was played out in his children to those five points, meaning he could play it out in the church. How could you manage the household of faith? Management skill was tested. His ability to govern to to a certain end and, and to that bare limitation, and it seems like a pretty bare limitation. But it's, uh, you know, in many ways, head and shoulders above most pastors' uh, kids. And it doesn't matter how much they love the word, how much they love the ministry, how godly they are themselves. All it did was prove they were not equipped to run the church. They could understand and teach wonderfully and have an English accent even. But if they didn't manage their kids, they weren't equipped. And what we're saying to you you could develop that degree of management. Never be a bishop. You might not be apt to teach. There are other qualifications you might not be. There are other qualifications. You might be a drunk. <laughs> okay, that, that probably wouldn't work out with kids. Um, you might be a recent convert. Those are banned too. You might have two wives. That might just band two. So, but you could still raise your kids. This is possible to raise them to this end. Now, as I told you the other night, everybody accused my parents of just having been given placid children uh, when my father... My father has a good article, if you get a chance to get it at, at the New Art or something, short article called The Neglected Qualification. It's on how many churches who do not expect their pastors to have children that are near bare minimums, this. It's worth, it's worth a read, worth getting. But <clears throat> the idea of placid children is to say that this qualification is an accidental one. And I think I have a, a slide on that end. If bishops and deacons are those with accidentally placid children, then the requirements suggest that they will be accidentally good at church leadership. It's tying the two together. It's saying this would equal that. This would Is a test of that. If the one is accidental, all you're doing is expecting your bishop, your presbyter, your elders to be accidentally blessed. They'll just be guessing at everything, winging it, no clue, because they had no clue in raising their kids. And they ended up with good children, so you can count on them to just be intuitively talented and accidentally successful. So... If we look at these things, the well-managed child, what we notice about this is this is a lie. I'm going to say, well, these three are a lie. These two reveal the lie. That's the reason I call it a lie is a temporary lie. These three look like you got them when they're in fifth grade. Because you can have a good little citizen who says, yes, sir, no, ma'am. Walked the aisle, signed the card, went to Iwana, tells you how much he loves Jesus. And then, profligacy, which is a good word to use just for working into a sentence, profligacy and insubordination, show up. Now, sure, younger kids can be insubordinate, but probably not profligate. Profligacy is debauchery. It's You're finding your son on the front porch drunk. Repeatedly. Dealing meth out of the back of the family station wagon. Dating sorority girls. You know, wild living. Now, what's What this does to our list is it lets you know it's probably not a young list. It's probably a young, minimally young adult list. When the success has been had. Not when you could be potentially lied to. When when they lied to themselves, you think that they're believers, they prayed the prayer with mom and dad. Now, What sometimes happens because of this shift, of, but right in the middle of the list, there's a shift between spirituality and, and wise management that we've got to get over and has to be gotten over with thought. Since grace and faith takes care of your walk with the Lord, your wisdom takes care of how you function in this world and how you straighten out crooked things. That's what wisdom does. It straightens out the crooked. And there's also a gap... deceptive gap at the middle of this list that lets you know they had to have come to a real belief in Christ. That their submission and respect was a considered, in everything, in every area, a considered grant of submission and respect. Because it's going to have to be coupled with success in the wild living department and the attitude towards you. What happens a lot of times is that when this happens, and, because, and it's, this can be achieved, these three, with sort of a minimal partial level of Christian uh, childbearing. You got them in the church, you raised them in Sunday school, you had Bible memory, you had a little bread loaf on the table that had the Bible memory verses in it, and uh, you read through a daily light with the kids, or you read the Bible stories, and their whole world as far as they could tell, they don't get out much. They don't have driver's licenses. They're seven, and and so you created a world that seemed to you to be disciplined. So you didn't discipline. You were not disciplining adequately. And some people even, if they think back, they look at those moments and they think, well, that was. They're so cute. Which it's so cute when they're angry. It's so funny, and I can just pick them up and move them around, and oh, knock it. off. Oh, they don't discipline for things. They just. You might say, mark time, maintain, um, contain the damage, get the kid back to a nap. Oh, they're just really tired right now. No, no child rearing, just containment. And because this illusion is created in them that they're doing okay, they think something magical and awful. The world, the abortion movement, uh, what else could it be? The homosexual lobby, whatever it is, stepped in. Worldviews, views, liberal universities ruin your kid. And so they start. what happens is there's slackers back here because this is produced easily with partial partial child rearing. This starts to happen around 12 and 13. They say it, and it's a—it's more than they're willing to live with anymore. They—they they can't contain it because Johnny's the same size as Mom. So you try. Then fathers start to get more authoritative. It becomes more aggressive in its discipline. Um, if <clears throat> the prime directive of parenting is the exchange of maturity, and you can go back and talk it over with your spouse and find out whether that basic thing of the seminar was right or wrong, true or false, but if it is, if it's, if it's, or it's close to true, the exchange of maturity should be more happening by the time you're 13 than less happening. And this would be the reverse. They looked like they were doing okay and they're doing worse. So we ramp up the discipline rather than admit something. So if you're tightening the reins as they get older, you failed, and you're just waving the white flag. It's just surrender at that point. So, did I have a quote for that? No, I didn't. As this becomes more evident in the society, because what, a lot of what happens, and we see this at Christian school a lot, because they collect them all together and watch them all tube together as they hit 13 years and rumors start floating about the morality of X, Y, and Z, who's misbehaving this way or that, and Christian parents start to become stricter rather than less. Our policy was we needed to become less strict as time went on. More freedoms, more liberty, more decision of themselves because their task was if we were right, if we had done it well, that grant of maturity would be granted back with honor but a lot of parents don't, and because you start to see, with this profligate and insubordinate, what did it say? It says um, not open to the charge of being. That means everybody else is seeing it. It's a reputation. And as your kid's reputation starts to dive, parents start to ramp up the discipline, not only because they're trying to rein their kid in, but because their reputation, and they want to come across as a solid and robust parent. They want to seem like, yeah, well, we have standards in our home, and the, the curfew is really 10 o'clock, and he just, he didn't obey it, so he's grounded for, you know, and he's uh, got to do X, Y, or Z because of this, and because he stayed out till 11, and uh, and we we want that reputation with our, our, our peers that we're solid. But the whole thing is an admission that you, you tubed. The idea of When they were young in this period, and this illusion was coming across to them that partial application, just the partial application, had trained them in a certain degree, depends on the kid, depends on the family, a certain degree of training to be self-ruled in a way that doesn't carry the image of a godly parent, a noble purpose, disciplined environment. You know, it, it didn't have that. It was just self. And so they're ready for this life but it was a hidden commodity. Now, when you get to that point, if you do, if they're not submissive, you didn't discipline in a godly and correct, wise way, just or wise. If they're not respectful, the parent was not a clear adult in relation to the clear child. If they're not believers, there was something about your Christianity that was not very convincing. Now, I noticed Leslie was sitting in the library this afternoon going over this. And I said, oh, it's amazing. Those line up with our first three talks. True religion, true adult, true discipline, and those cause or don't cause those things in truth in your child. Now, when you get to the profligate and insubordinate, the, um, the puberty, the happening of, uh, what, testosterone, and do you girls have any hormones? <laughs> I mean, probably in your own special weak little way. <laughs> but you don't understand testosterone. Um, what happens is the shift that you want to be ready for whether or not you're successful and righteous and did it right and you had this notebook tattooed reverse on your chest so you could look at it in the morning in the mirror and you said, I believe these things self-evident, the five points of the bloodline seminar and, I'm, and you and your spouse are at it and, they, and they're turning out great and they're not just looking like this but there's that gap where they have to still be that and not be that now, why does this happen? it's a shift in authority, huh okay? now, your government was creating a very comfortable illusion, say you're just kind of a uptight father and you're making them jump through these hoops, but a lot of things weren't right. Your Christianity wasn't what it ought to be. Your attitude about discipline was a little bit rat bastardy and and you know that your Christianity is a kind of a faux religion or, or doesn't uh, um, doesn't really represent Christ. Um, the shift introduces some new claimants to authority, challenges, okay, that are going to say to the child whose self, whether or not, You've shaped it correctly or shaped it wrongly. Speak to the self in a new way. Okay, we have uh, we have an example too. The new challenges we have: society, sex, and beauty standards. They didn't know beauty. They hit them, bit him in the fanny. They, 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 sex. You know, they may joke about it on the playground, but they don't really know what's going on. And, and society, little kid society, is really charming sometimes. But nothing quite like the viciousness of high school. And all those things step up and say, why don't you consider obeying me to your child? This is the world. They're all real things. They're not necessarily bad things. Society exists. Sex exists. Beauty exists. But First John says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father but is of the world. And if you want a kid to love the world, you've not trained them to love the Father. They're going to be finding, they're going to find new lords. If they didn't like the way you ruled the family, they're going to look for new lords. Especially ones that are really pleasurable, that really reward them. That show whether a fake or true affection for them. That gives them a sense of identity, which you didn't give them. What I look at here is with, the soci- with society. It's the pride of life. That means my belonging, where I am, what what position do I hold? Who respects me? Who doesn't? What clique am I in? Do people like my Nike jacket? Do they think I'm cool? Am I one of this group? Or am I one of that group? Am I one of the inner ring? Am I not? All those things are the contention of. A man's representation or a woman's representation of themselves in light of other people. How the self and the other with other people works. Sex, I don't know if you understand this, but when a man and woman love each other very much, <laughs> things happen. And um, even if you're not married, things can happen. And even if you don't even know girls, things can happen. Because they're really, 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 really attractive. And we all know, we all went through it as parents, that the kid exists because you had that lust. And yet somehow we forget how powerful. And for the, you know, you say, well, I said the guys. Yeah, the guys that way. girls are not running around horny. But they're running around insecure. They're running around wanting their beauty accepted running around looking for male affirmation. And some of them even want it. And beauty, I put as desire of the eyes. It's always been my view. It doesn't say that in John that the desire of the eyes is beauty. Uh, most people say it's coveting. Uh, it doesn't seem to cover the rest of our human experience. Um, the, the, the desire of the eyes is a thing that that we, in my mind, that we dwell on because of its, its aesthetic beauty. And when I put that in, the design of the eyes for the, your child, is not that they suddenly start going to museums or classical concerts, but one of the big points of contention between you and your kid is their cultural leadership and your cultural leadership. Their music, your music. Their stars, your stars. What's hip, what's, you know. And some of these things cross over. Now, the world has put this challenge up. And even if you were doing a great job with the kid thus far, the challenge is still going to get made. They're still going to run it at you. So are they going to meet the challenge or not? Are they going to take the self you shaped into a maturity and start making right decisions. If you uh, didn't discipline, they just started ruling themselves. And if they rule themselves, the most pleasure is going to be the thing that they follow and serve. If you discipline them, but you discipline wrongly, they just resent you. And they're looking for another lord. You really only have the option of... um, doing it right. <laughs> That's the option you have. Um, so if we, assume, if we assume you've done it right, let's just assume this is a, a, a room of triumphant parents who sit in church of a Sunday morning, whatever church you attend, smiling smugly because you've done it right. That tattoo, you know, nobody knows you have it but the wife and you applied it And there they are. Not just little prigs, but just really interesting people growing up, gracious, cool, not wearing dork clothes. And then your first boy turns 13, and you don't know what hit you. You don't even know. And even though, again, you know the desire, you know what you went through your own self at 13, you don't even know what to say. How do you deal with pornography? How do you deal with the girl he loves? How do you deal with him being caught making out with her? How do you deal with her, you know, all the things that can happen? So, but you're, you've been doing it right. Let's assume that. So with society, I don't know if that's my next slide. Well, it's a thematic, so it could be up there. The society. The basic theme I want you to in these three areas, the society, the sex, and the beauty. I want you to think in the same terms. Think of being stronger than and superior to, in this case, society. Stronger than and superior to. Parents looking down the line who realize all that I have said, that no matter what, they're either being deceived by their kid's good behavior, but even if the kid was righteous and truly saved and really You really were doing a good job. Either way, the challenge is coming. Either way, they could get caught in sin. Either way. And so what does the parent do? He buys 40 acres in the backwoods of Lataw County, starts to get a gun collection, raise his own beets and chickens. And... uh, starts developing a philosophy that's a place for him to hide his fear and, frankly, his surrender. Because in the military, this is called a retreat. It's called running away. Now, if you run away under the guise of maintaining innocence, remember, with biblical anthropology, your kids, if they're not saved, they're not innocent. Patriarchy is not a culture that you want to establish, but people try to come up with words to hide this that they suspect if they ever encountered the enemy because they're Fabian moralists they're going to lose the battle to Hannibal. Because they can't imagine being away from home and the lights go out and the wife's not there and there's an attractive woman who wants to sleep with you. They can't imagine staying pure. So they don't trust their kids, and they don't trust them long before they hit teen years, so off they go, long skirts, funny shoes, and uh, rather than saying, hold it, shouldn't, shouldn't we, children of God, shouldn't we be stronger and superior to all this? Now, in, in our society, as your kids grow up, they, they start, if you're not an isolationist, if you're not a maintainer of innocence, um, your kids know non-Christians. Your kids know Christian Christian home kids that aren't that good. Don't try to stop them from having those friends. Encourage it. Have them over. You're stronger. Your society is better. If you're... Big if here. If you're not a complete tool where your Christian... You're always putting on Reliant K albums, OK? This, is, this music is just as good as, really, isn't it? You want to make sure that Thunderstruck by ACDC is on when they walk through the door. Now, it's probably a little old, but uh, but you're not supposed to be playing it if you're a Christian. But not because you're trying to relate to the youth. It could be, it could be anything. It could be classical music, for that matter. It doesn't matter whether or not it's something they would think would be cool. The idea is you are there to show your kids that your love and your belief system could handle all of this. Okay, You've been trying to convey your love to them in the scriptures. There was Jesus wandering through the landscape. He was tempted in every manner like his way, yet without sin. We're his followers. We're walking through the world. That passage in Corinthians. I wrote to you not to associate with immoral men. Not at all meaning the immoral of this world for then you would have to leave the world. That's what some people do. exactly what they try to do. Leave the world. Not supposed to. Bring those friends in. Examine to see if you're the remember we assumed you were the successful and right parent up to this point. Your religion was true. Your affection was solid. Your discipline was just. Your height was circumspect. It was accessible and condescending. And it was, uh, had its place, and they knew their place. Everything was there. So we're assuming that. You should be manifestly prepared for some other 13-year-old drug dealer that comes home with your kid. If you get frightened and run away, Mom, because your kid knows a drug dealer... He just admitted that you're you really shouldn't bear children. Okay, just don't bear the kids. Uh, don't bring them into the world. It's something that well, years ago, with I think I suggested this to my father. Uh, we used to yeah groups have retreats. You go, oh, i on a retreat. Let's go on a retreat. So should you just be going on a retreat? Let's go on an advance. <laughs> <laughs> so we called all the retreats at CCM advances. So The spring advance, the fall advance. Um, I ha- I, I've made my mark, my 15 minutes of fame. Um, it was not very famous. Um, the benefit is, it's something Leslie and I noticed, the benefits that my parents noticed, is they brought home sinners, we brought home sinners. We talked with, I talked with my parents and we talked with our kids about the ministry to these people how are we going to minister the gospel to these friends of yours? What do you think their issue is? We listened to our kids' analysis of it. We included them on the side of the strength. We weren't, they were not the booty that the two sides were going to fight over. That just makes you look desperate, and they probably want to hang out with the drug dealer. And if you don't have some sort of shmarmy Christian culture going on in your house... But you just have solid love and um, it was my father I've mentioned this to many people. My dad was never cool in the strict sense of I think he let his sideburns grow a little bit. I think he let his sideburns grow a little bit, and somebody is deciding that How Wilson's? And that's on the tape. That's pretty impressive. and it was a recorded call yeah we were pretty good we, we, we were almost off the grid um, it was nobody it was just a recorded call ignore that <laughs> what was I talking about I am talking about my father's lack of let his sideburns I think in the 70's grow a little bit longer <laughs> but still it was the suit, the tie this is at University of Michigan 1968, and I mean, it was like San Francisco Midwest. It was hippies everywhere. And we had people over all the time. And they loved talking to my dad. Because he loved them. Spoke to him honestly. It was the culture that our home had, my mother's mediocre cooking. And uh, (laughs) And sometimes playing Scrabble in the evenings, uh, sitting on the porch, playing Frisbee. Mm. We weren't doing anything special to give them an experience of acceptance. and We just loved them. And people came to Christ repeatedly. Your society, if you're right with the Lord, is stronger and superior to theirs. Don't run away. And when you walk up to the battle, hold your kid's hand and say, we're going into battle. Let's pray together about these people that we're having over, these kids, these friends, your posse. Yes.
1: I just had the thought that sometimes your kid's friends may even be uh, within the church culture of, you know, where you're hanging out. And they seem like really nice kids and yet they're barely hanging on to their belief, and they're also gonna fall away as they turn 18 and whatnot. But often the experience that they saw in your, your home,
2: home
1: with your kids is something they remember and brings helps bring them back around when they're older.
0: Yeah, sometimes your, your Christian personal culture that is superior to the world and superior to the church helps all those kids who aren't being raised right in the church have something they can hang a faith in Jesus Christ on. And your kids, and if you're talking wisely with your kids, your kids are analyzing who's in that camp, who's in this camp, how close they are to the Lord, how close aren't they. And your kid feels honored that they're part of the tactician team. Your kid feels, hey, yeah, this superiority of, of love and the gospel is something we, Wilsons, are about included in, and there's no closed door to those people. As soon as you try to shut that off, you know, anytime there's a barrier to something as a kid is trying to find their own way and their own place in life, they want to go look at it. I remember one situation, I, I, you know, I, I, I had watched it happen in our family growing up and trying to do it with my kids. One night, I f- I think we, Graham and Gunn were in junior high or maybe, yeah, probably junior high. They had a curfew of, I think, 10 o'clock. And uh, they weren't home. And Leslie said, are the boys home? I said, no, boys aren't home. Well, do you know where they are? No, I don't know where they are. Well, maybe they're at the skate park because Graham.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, uh, and so parents, you're, you have these lines, curfew, 10 o'clock. I'm going to have to get in the car drive over to the skate park this is before cell phones drive over to the skate park and find the boys and if I I don't find them there I didn't know where I was going to go look so I pull up to the skate park down by junior high there they are I see the car they wave they run over I slide open the side doors of the van they're throwing skates and so forth in. and before I can start in on fatherhood 101 (laughs) Graham starts saying, we just had this great witnessing opportunity with this kid, I forget who it was, or one of these punks at the park, and they would have been there, breaking curfew, talking about the Lord to this kid. Now what do I do? You know, what do I, you know I didn't do anything. You know? I was just say, well, great, that's great. This is why we're here on earth. Not to be home by ten. Well, If you're running in terror, you don't think you're superior. You probably have communicated that Christianity isn't superior your whole life. And if you just admitted that to your kids, the new authority is stronger, then perhaps it ought to be obeyed. Well, now, sex is a little different in society. It begins with an S. Think of being stronger than and superior to the sex. What does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm bound to make it dirty, one way or the other. No, it's not that it's uh, a a few things, a few things. But I want to share some things that you might not, I want you to think about No, You you say, oh my gosh. If Evan prefaces anything about sex, warning us, because he said awful things (coughs) to us already, this must be, no, it's something something you might not expect. They will never gain a healthy view of sex from you if you don't have a healthy experience of sex. I'm sorry. You won't be right. You'll be a hypocrite. They'll know. You want to be sure that your sexual life is the satisfying Christian utopia, paradise, that you're trying to lie to your kids it's supposed to be, and reverenced, because it's so wonderful and so sacred. <laughs> it's a beautiful sex of love, and if only you wait for that moment, and the right girl, you'll, uh, you'll understand what I mean. And you know, it's not true in you, so that's why you make up that rot. <laughs> so let's just assume, let's assume that you're knocking boots regularly, and it's successful, and you're, you're, you're fine with it. Everything's good. God, God can smile on your sex life it's not the kind of thing you really ever want to communicate to your kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly. You know you have to. But but sex is coming through the TV. It's on the billboards. It's in the magazines. And the, the one Marche ad comes through and stuff falls out. It's an ad for some kind of cologne that the woman seems to have dropped all of her clothes because of the <laughs> cologne. And she now wants to rape you because of the cologne. <laughs> so uh, so one of the parents of my, my father said, even back in the 30s, back in the 30s when my I, you know, I had visited my grandparents, and they only had an outhouse. And in an outhouse, if you are unfamiliar with the technology, um, other things hadn't been seemingly invented either, like toilet paper. So there were corn cobs, and there were uh, uh, Sears and Roebuck catalogs. But back in the 30s, mothers had to rip out the lingerie section because there it was corsets. And if, and if you saw them now, you go, what? I've seen Bon, bon Macy's uh, um, cologne ads. I mean, uh, heavens, a corset, a line drawing of a corset <laughs> on faded paper and I've got diarrhea. I don't, you know. It doesn't, I'm not, and it's 30 below zero, and I'm out of the outhouse. You can't, you know, you know something has to be done. Let's say you're successful sexually. You must be, if you have any hope. Um, If you've tried to be part of that innocence group, to maintain our child's innocence. They don't even know South Park is on. You know, we were, we watched The Simpsons with all the kids growing up every Sunday night,
2: <laughs>
0: religiously, <laughs> and a lot of people, Christians, fun, watched The Simpsons with your kids, and now The Simpsons seem so tame and so, you know, what, how could you complain about that? But you know, culture shift, uh, standards shift. But if you're the Innocence Project and it's going to be only G-rated movies till they're you know 27, um, you're going to um, be faced with a quandary. Um, your kids, if you were successful at all, you—they um, don't believe you have sex. They, if the thought of sex starts to come up as they hit puberty, they don't ever put their parents in the same bed together that way. It's disturbing to them, the idea, and even though they exist, I mean, you would see science, and you know, they would, they would go, "Yeah, it must have happened." You know, uh, I'm here, but uh, people have different levels, different kinds of culture where they. But eventually, the talk has to happen. You've got you to gotta, the talk. You know that one of these basic maturities that you've got to ready them for is not just marriage and what you do, but not married and what you don't do. And what it all means and how you resist temptation and how you keep yourself pure. Pure about what, Father? Uh, well... <laughs> So you can either, when you have the talk, be direct and embarrass them. Or be euphemistic and just seem silly. Because you've, the, the comic kind of talk there is about, oh, I think it was the Dos Equis, uh, most interesting man, world's most interesting man, and they're talking about him. And they said, he gave his own father the talk. <laughs> So the direct, you know, the science, you know, well, you know, this goes here and that goes there. Um, And it it seems to be devoid of any kind of interest or uh, other than embarrassment. And the euphemisms that look, you look childish and they don't respect you. And the other possibility you say is, well, what am I supposed to do? if If I'm too sexually charged about it, where I'm, you might say, not being clinical and not being silly, what am I left with? Arousal? That they are getting aroused by the talk. You don't want that either. You don't want all, any of the three. Well, I would say there's a different possibility. Though if You can't say that uh, embarrassment, disrespect, and arousal can't be your only choices when you've raised a kid well up to this point. Remember, you've been the successful parent. You've done the right thing. You're having a good time with the spouse. Uh, You're just trying to figure out how to deal with their new information. This is a new challenging Lord coming into their life, and they want it bad. They want it like no other. To be superior to and stronger than sex in this world, the topic of sex has height and humor because our religion is both thick and clear. That's not fair, I realize. That just doesn't make any sense at all. Um, These are two Lewis concepts stuck together arbitrarily. Um, What I recommend is that you convey two things (coughs) to your children and live (coughs) in a world where those two things are true. And they're both true, height and humor, because Christianity is a religion that's thick and clear. Let me explain that. That's a Lewis idea. When he was deciding between which religions were the greatest possibility of being true, it was Hinduism and Christianity. They were the only two religions. Religions were either thick or they were clear clear, being philosophical, theological purity, everything was explained, systematized, it was rational. It was like, you know, Stoics. Um, Thick was slaughtering people on the top of the pyramids in Teotihuacan. That's Thick. The earthy, dark, material um, cult prostitution in the temples. If you read Till We Have Faces, um, there's the cult prostitutes that are in the temple of Unget and that's a thick religion. So that's what Lewis was looking for, that because we are human beings, we are spirits in a body. We're not spirits trying to escape a body. We are spirits in a body. And God made it thus that we were both thick and clear. And he made some of the most clear things represented in the thick moments. We take the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the church, and it has to do with you doing gymnastics with the wife in, in your nakey time. <laughs> you go, That's just not right. That's just not religious. Well, because you want a clear religion. You'd like it if it was all about Jesus and the church. But you don't want him to go around saying, the union of mother, man and woman is symbolic of this wonderful, clear thing. But that's what our religion is like. Consequently, Lewis argues, and I have in the back, I just OCR'd this section out of the Four Loves on Eros by C.S. Lewis. And I wanted to, it's long, read it by yourself, but I have some things highlighted that I want to read to you to set you up. And after that, I have... Harry Blamers, who wrote The Christian Mind um, back in the 70s. Harry Blamers was one of Lewis's students, and he wrote a pretty well-known book back in those days. Uh, I think it's still available in new editions. uh, I've seen new editions. Called The Christian Mind, and he has a section on humor and sex. And what we're recommending is that you know both these things about your sex life, and it makes it easier have it be in your home and life of your children um, as a superior and stronger thing than what the world is. because then your kids know when you laugh at what the world is up to you have reason to laugh now Lewis says here, this is on page 30 um, first paragraph he says for the moment I want to speak of the danger which at present in my opinion especially haunts the act of love This is the subject on which I disagree, not with the human race, far from it, but with many of its gravest spokesmen. I believe we are all being encouraged to take Venus too seriously, at any rate, with a wrong kind of seriousness. All my life, a ludicrous and portentous solemnization of sex has been going on. One author tells us that Venus should recur through the married life in, quote, a solemn sacramental rhythm, unquote. A young man to whom I had described as pornographic, a novel that he much admired, replied with genuine bewilderment, pornographic, how how can it be? It treats the whole thing so seriously, as if a long face were a sort of moral disinfectant. Skipping a sentence, he says, our advertisements at their sexiest paint the whole business in terms of the rapt, the intense, the swoony devout, seldom a hint of gaiety. And at the end of that paragraph, we have reached the stage at which nothing is more needed than a roar of old-fashioned laughter. But it will be replied, the thing is serious. Yes, quadruply so. And this is where he addresses the height. Theologically, it's the body's share in the mystical union between God and man. Secondly, in the sub-Christian or pagan category, it's all men's participation in the sky father and earth mother uh, ritual, fertility, life. Thirdly, the moral obligations involved and of being a parent and being an ancestor. And then there is the fourth, the emotional sneer of seriousness in the minds of the participants. It's got a height in various categories in a seriousness. But he's saying that because we're both thick and clear, the fact that I found the serious elements does not make sex serious. I can look at it and go, if I say it's serious rather than high, I can't add humor to it. Now, if if you're a subtle mind, you could add humor to seriousness. He says a few paragraphs later, we must not be totally serious about Venus. Indeed, we can't be totally serious without doing violence to our humanity. It is not for nothing that every language and literature in the world is full of jokes about sex. Many of them may be dull or disgusting, and nearly all of them are old. But we must insist that they embody an attitude to Venus which, in the long run, endangers the Christian life far less than a reverential gravity. Now, he says at the bottom of the page we are composite creatures, rational animals, akin on one side to the angels, on the other to tomcats. It is a bad thing. Oh, a, do I have this quote? It is a bad thing not to be able to take a joke. Worse, not to take a divine joke. Made, I grant you, at our expense, but also who doubts it for our endless benefit. He's talking about sex. We're a joke. It's a, he, he, he associates it. He takes Aquinas' view of the body. It's brother ass. It's not this, you know, god or goddess. It's not sack of dung. You're not just trying to escape the body in some, you know, maniky or Gnostic sense, we're thick and clear. We've accepted both gifts from God, the height of the role that marriage is between man and woman. And if I believe those four things about its seriousness and height, and that's how my wife and I live our married life, but with a body joking about the earthy aspects of sex, Your kids will have a hard... First, they'll be a little embarrassed, but then they'll realize, my parents, even if they don't do things around me like catch them making out on the couch or, you know, um, being too frank about their uh, uh, relations, um, you've put yourself in a position where your kids believe you know more and have a higher skill level than the world. That's what you want you want to go, and all of these things you're trying to communicate, yeah these new lords have stepped in, they're going to be lords you're going to have to deal with the rest of your life and we have to deal with them too, society sex beauty, and I've got to pass on to them what it is to be victorious and triumphant in the situation Lewis says at the end of this section, the highest does not stand without the lowest I can't have this great, great thing without accepting the low aspects of it because the low is just as much a part. Far better to plant it foursquare within the drama of Eros as comic relief than pretend you haven't noticed it. And his last line is, when natural things look most divine, the demoniac is just around the corner. So as you try to solemnize and Christianize the sexual thing in all seriousness so that your kid will, be, will reverence it against the hot chick in math class. The hot chick in math class, I can remember, I had a French teacher. Oh, my heavens. I can't even call her face to mind because it wasn't about the face. It was about the miniskirt. The miniskirts were kind of new at the time. This was 1967. And I was wrapped. I don't care about the French. You know that. Didn't learn any French, but um, I was in love. (laughs) Because there was something remarkable that if someone had put, you know, the sacred, the the solemnization and sacred rhythm, you know, uh, it wouldn't draw me to it. I wouldn't go, oh, yeah, yeah, thanks. (laughs) Yeah, I'll I'll take a little of that, that, that solemn and sacred gravitas. But if you say, oh, you don't even understand what a hoot it is, and you start to realize, my parents, it's a hoot from my parents. If we always, in the privacy of our home, joked more freely because the membership of the home is closer, you can stand closer, you could watch your father walk down the hall in his skivvies. You know what skivvies are? Navy talk underwear. There's a certain freedom that you might not always feel free at church or with other families that might not have those, that latitude. But you're opening up the humor, the, the natural earthiness of sexuality, which shows where you are. Now, that's why I wanted to say, this is an unusual recommendation. But Lewis does it, and Harry Blamers does it. Um, he's doing it as a review, sort of a Lady Chatterley's lover. Uh, which was a big case about obscenity back in the day. and uh, um, he says in the first paragraph, middle of it, it is regarded as healthy to describe or represent intercourse, promiscuity, vice, homosexuality, lesbianism, sadism, and the like, if you do so seriously. To put material of this kind before the public is courageous and honest if you do it seriously. Watching it or reading it as an, an adult, and therefore good, you, if you do it seriously. So he has the same idea that Lewis had. Um, the next paragraph, he says, I do not like this new perverted puritanism which fanatically refuses to laugh at gutter words normally reserved for reverence to our reproductive organs, reference to our reproductive organs and functions viewed in their most purely animal aspect. This perverse prudery which would deny to the human race, burdened as it is with excessively demanding sexuality, the safety valve of humor could do great damage to our society. And he says in a couple sentences later, "Are the, who are these people who would at once deny us the rich flavor of romantic love and the hearty salt of the body? On the back, back page, a couple couple quotes. Uh, second paragraph, the sense of humor is fundamental to our sense of proportion and therefore to our very rationality. No argument is needed to stress that humor is a bulwark against despair and insanity. It is not a coincidence that the modern, same modern movement which would flood our cultural life with stark revelations of sexuality reveals itself so basically deficient in a sense of humor that it treats with desperate seriousness the funniest book of the age. The educated man who can read *Lady Chatterley's Lover* and not rock with laughter has a sick mind. <laughs> he viewed it as just an awful book, just so poorly written. Um, and he goes on to say about uh, um, the immoral literature is literature which recommends immoral behavior. If a play or a novel. Win sympathy for adulterers, sodomites, dope addicts, or nymphomaniacs, in the sense of making the audience or the reader feel that such people are right to indulge their vices and aberrations, that it is immoral. It goes without saying that a comic treatment of adultery or sodomy is a funny sto- in a funny story or a body piece of literature is most likely to be thoroughly moral, for the force of humor is frequently dependent upon stirring our sense of the incongruity between what people do and what they ought to do. And my, next, my quote from the is, humor can rarely afford to dispense with the yardstick of traditional morality. So you know, what you think sometimes is undercutting about body humor, or, and again, this is a chosen thing that's chosen by wisdom, but I want you to think about it, whether or not the concepts that you want to carry as this rather strong challenger to your authority. You know, you see kids becoming homosexuals, lesbians, Pregnant, all sorts of things, and it, it, or just having a bunch of bad sexual experiences, pornography, all sorts of things, in this society because the parents didn't quite know what to do. Not that temptations aren't sure to come, but what, what did you have in place? Were you able to say, "I am stronger and superior to the sex of the world"? I'm just suggesting that you think about that possibility that height and humor are the place of strength and superiority.
1: I also want to point out that there, because there's a lot of humor out in the world about sex, you can be sure that your teenagers are going to encounter that and they're going to laugh or they're going to be shocked, but they're more likely to deal with it better if you have that humor in your home. That makes sense. I can think of too
0: many South Park episodes. that <laughs> Think of being stronger and superior to the beauty. Now, what I mean by this, I mean I might be forcing the thought too far. You can tell that to your wife on the way home. I think Evan was forcing the thought a little far. He's trying too hard to make a memnonic device three parts you know, uh, society, sex, and beauty, and it wasn't working for me. Okay, let me just go on, though. Uh, I, I won't let you out unless you let me go on. Now, when the pop culture, the new beauty, this is the point of challenge. If your kids showed up dressed, oh, that, okay, I'm going to think of the actual. Davis was, I don't know, young teen, we were gonna help him out musically. We were gonna introduce him to real rock and roll. We got him some CDs for Christmas. For his birthday, something. Right along. We said, this is some of the best. It was the Eagles, jazz Joplin, and Three Dog Night, I think. Mm-hmm. I said, well that's a wide range in the California rock, very Very uh, urban, very cool. Janis Joplin, great gutsy vocalist. And Three Dog Nights is the acceptable rock of Christian parents in the 70s.
2: Um,
0: He was humiliated. He couldn't believe we did that to him. It was just like an insult. It was like a slap in the face. We didn't know what was going on. We'd heard little bits and pieces of current music. It it was actually, I think, Tim Hagen, our first getting to know Tim, uh, a mock trial trip to Boise, when I think it was nonstop collective soul all the way. Dosage. Yeah, I think dosage. And uh, um, so we learned uh, what that was, anyway, for pop music. And they were young. They didn't know any better. (laughs) Now, that's the tension that occurs. The difference in dress, the difference in pop stars, the difference in those kind of uh, trends of, of youth where they the youth comes in and they claim this is better aesthetically than your stinky old people rock and roll with your Chuck Berry and whatever else might go on. Now, I think Becky back there was raised by parents who didn't let her listen to anything new. And so she only knows... Chuck Berry and that kind of uh, classic uh, uh, pre-electric rock and roll almost. Now, what, okay, what's the point of even mentioning? What, this, it's a point of conflict where the world is asking you to take sides, take, asking your kid to take sides. And they will challenge you on it. And there will be fights on it. And there will be problems about whether or not they can have this album. Or, and you will be listening to it going, what is this awful, awful music? And I put up with Third Eye Blind for a long time. It seemed like he and Jason were, were devotees of this band that nobody knows now. <laughs> now, what do you do? How do you be stronger and superior to the beauty that the world is offering? Now, one of the key ways parents tend to be is they, one, first off, they think they were cool when they were young. Might be an error. Every man I seem to know seems to claim, my age group, claims to have had long hair. They didn't. I had a picture taken so I could prove it. I know they're all lying. They had their hair touching their ears, you know, and they call it long hair. But we all look back at the, the bands we listened to and um, you had a certain cachet, a certain uh, respect it for yourself. And the war begins when you automatically think that what your kids are doing is rubbish. You have a nostalgia, they have a currency, and there's a war between nostalgia and currency. I don't recommend it. It's not a rational place to be. Then there are the parents, desperate to not drive Johnny into Matthews and whatever else he may get into because of his music. They try to either get the Christian version of that so they have the Christian rap music or they have, the again, the Reliant K album. And um, I'm not saying these guys aren't talented, but they're not. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah uh, oh caught me again um, when parents pay too much attention to and obsequiously coddle and affirm the new pomp that's not the answer either that doesn't make that makes you one of the followers and kind of the follower nobody wants to be around at the party because you know it's not like. Gee, Mom, you like this music as much as I. Why don't you come to the party with me, too? We can dance. (laughs) But, you know, your mom's just faking it. She doesn't really like it. She just says she does because she doesn't want little Johnny to go um, down the wrong path. Um, A theory I've had for a long time is that cool is knowing. Doesn't matter what you know. In the set, socially, whatever is the perceived body of knowing, those that know... cool. If they're geeks, if they know the the schematic for the Starship Enterprise, they're cool. But only among the geeks. And if you know what the drummer's name was on the second REM album, you might be cool in a different way. Probably the same kind. Um, (laughs) The idea that and everybody functions with this knowledge of cool though nobody has the definition on the tip of their tongue. They all treat the person they know in their set who is the knowing one who is hip to this as the cool person. That's what the parent's trying to do who is, the, is coddling and affirming. They're trying to seem hipper but the kid knows they don't know in their affirmation. They don't know in their coddling. They make bad mistakes. They think Jethro Tull was a guy. You know, that's what happened in my interview. What's Jethro Tull? Uh, it was a band, long time ago, named for a guy who worked in English husbandry in the, I don't know what century, but long before Jethro Tull. But people always used to say, you know, do you like Jethro Tull? And somebody would say, yeah, he's pretty good. <laughs> Ah, Coachella. You don't know, do you? And what happens when somebody ha- makes that kind? Oh, they did it at Coachella, I think. This somebody did a video over oh, there asking people about all these obscure bands that didn't exist, and everybody was claiming to have liked their first album and stuff like that. because they were just such posers. I mean, you know, what an awful. Awful way to go down in flames, <laughs> um, but you don't want to have that with your kids. So what do you got left? You don't want to be the nostalgic. Uh, I hate your rubbish. Kids, get off my lawn, and uh, um, please let me come to your party with you. Um, you have to know. You have to know. And this is this is where after that great travesty of the Eagles album and the um, Janis Joplin album, with Davis, I realized that the wind was up. Different music was happening. They didn't seem to know rock and roll. They didn't understand that Zeppelin was the greatest band ever. And so we started having arguments. Good arguments, I mean, because Davis was really into it. And he would just try to play something for me in the kitchen. What about this father? And I'd listen to it and make some comment. Now, my task... Was to have it be either affirmation or denial, but it had to be knowing, not anything knowing about the band. I didn't have to spend my time reading really Rolling Stone and keeping up on what's going on. I had to know what was going on musically. I had to, if I'm going to have a stronger and superior beauty, if I don't just want to have the way the world is and that strong desire, the lust of the eyes, if. I don't want them to be, be walking away because I have a boring life. I need to have dominated. And so I realized I had done some actual work back in college about philosophy of art. And I started to pull together and started saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to have the discussion, not be about which band, but the nature of philosophy of art. So I started winning arguments with Davis because I had a philosophy of art and he did not. So he was speaking, you might say, always, without, you might say, epistemic claim, just because he liked it. I said, Davis, I have a reason for liking something, not just I like it. So I, I, I started winning arguments. But Davis started thinking more of my position because it wasn't just nostalgia, and sometimes I would defend current music. Sometimes I'd point out X was really good because This is what's going on. This is the nature of rock and roll. This is the philosophy of rock and roll. Why does rock and roll end up this way? Well, this is it. And I started to argue as if I knew music. I'm not a musician, but I I work in philosophy. So that brought it back together and ended up being that now Davis will agree, Zeppelin's the greatest band that ever was. I didn't have to work to get him to do that, but at, at a certain point... You're trying to just dominate in the situation. Like in the social moment, you're dominating. You're bringing the love of Christ. You're bringing your non-Christian friends of your kids over. You're, you're, you're being involved. Your kids are in the tactics. Um, in the area of sex, you've got the height and you've got the humor. And in the area of beauty, you've done some work. You've involved yourself as a knowing agent so that they start to respect your understanding of beauty. If there's someone there, you could have a kid that's just an engineer, some soulless ginger that ends up being, a, you know, a mechanical engineer. And doesn't know, doesn't like music. My, my, my son. I won't say it because he will be on tape.
2: Yeah, I'm sorry. It's not gonna happen. Pause the tape. Oh, pause the tape. <laughs>
0: Did I get that? Did I skip one? Of all these three arenas of the challenged authority, we advance, not retreat. We show how society, sex, and beauty are dominated with joy and love and grace. You ought to be braver. Okay. If you need any of these to get tat- the tattoos done, you let me know I can email you the, the file. Um, so what happens after this, is this a no, that's not, uh... yeah, that, that happens next. Uh, the idea of freedom, that's what's supposed to happen. If it is, the prime directive to exchange maturity at some point in time, that task, those events, those things, those changes you went through, you handled them, you did right when they were young, puberty hit, you did right, you did the, 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 the sex society and beauty shuffle, and they came out the other end going, I think well of my parents. I think highly of my parents. You need to be able to let them go. And I keep saying this throughout the week because I keep running into parents who won't let them go. They can't bear to let them go. Now, mostly because they think that, um, is it the next one? Are the only two possible forms of young adult of Christian family, the brainwashed poser or the susceptible to every doubt and immorality at the state college? That seems to be the two categories. Parents think they've got you know, I either have to brainwash this kid into being exactly look exactly like what Jesus Christ asked people to be, but only look like, and, and be brainwashed that way, or if I send him off, they're going to doubt the faith and sleep with people. What are the other you know, what's the option? Well, you don't want to be satisfied with either the rebellious child or the priggish child. You don't want to say that these are the only two options. Um, what did I, take? did I get a conclusion to that? Let me see. Oh, this is just a. Uh, uh, if you don't want to do the poser, and you got this, you, you're here you're your normal parent, you're not, you didn't create a prig in the khakis. Um, but you got this case and you suspect that they're just being nice and polite and they're gonna go off to state college. So you send them to Hillsdale or, or Northwest College or Northwest Nazarene or some place that's George Fox. That's a Christian school, isn't it? Um, <laughs> you start doing, you start trying to plan how you can still govern them. And all you've admitted is that you need to confess your failure because at that point, if, you, if you're right, you can't let them go. You didn't exchange maturity, if you're right. So if you feel this ob- obligation to try to, why don't you stay home for a few more years, honey? Why don't you just uh, not leave the house? I'd rather not pay for a grandchild that you don't have a father for. Um, that, that kind of fear. Um, if you step in to govern their environment anymore, you at least think you failed because you need more time. <laughs> and if you failed, what do you got left? Well, you don't have government. Okay? All the 18 years, of 18 years is the... St- you, you don't have government. You, the, all this was advice on how to govern, manage, because you were given the government. But whether or not you let him go, you lost the government. Okay? In, in the eyes of God, of his objective creation... Unless you create servile wretches out of them who can never leave home or pick their heads up or look you in the eye, and they will never leave, they're going to, and they're going to disrespect you, and they're going to want to not be like you. You've lo- you, you're done. The doneness happens. And uh, you don't have government anymore to fall back on. So what do you have? Well, I recommended the other day uh, my dad's article on saturation love. Uh, with an adult, it might be a little bit different ways it's applied, not so much grab them and smother them, but uh, uh, consider that the, the degree of just love and affection and the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's like it's a non Christian, folks. Deal with it as a non Christian. Deal with whatever you're looking back at and say, did I, what did I do intentionally, didn't pick up? shoved off onto Awana, did something else, hoped that playing Veggie Tales for them was just enough to give them Jesus. Where was I lazy? Where was I incomplete? Where was I partial? So confession, realize that you can go after them like a non-Christian. And remember, non-Christians get saved out of that kind of life all the time. Jesus can save your kid. But that's what you were supposed to make them prepared for by your rearing them. And when you're preparing them so well, usually conversion <laughs> happens down in grade school sometime because it, it's so they're surrounded by the gospel, it's victorious, it, it's consistent with everything they see, um, and uh, it happens early. But uh, whether you failed or not, um, my dad had a, a, a policy that he didn't know he had. I, I, I was pulling this out of, you know, going over my, my upbringing. And uh, as part of this shift to self-government, that part that we fear, that, that we go, ah, if I don't make him a poser, I, I'm going to make him immoral. My parents, my father especially, wouldn't, would not have his commands or command anything that didn't agree with my conscience. This is later in my life, you know, there were house rules and all sorts of things that I didn't have conscience quality to them at all, uh, just the way he wanted to have things done. But when he was giving me more and more liberty, I was getting to practice the choice of whether I would listen to my conscience, mine, that had been exchanged, maturity had been exchanged to it, i made it alive in the presence of Christian things and being a Christian and all the rest, and if he had a rule, it agreed with my conscience. So it was always two against one Jim and my conscience against me and what I wanted, you know, I, just the, the, the self. Because if a parent tries to make a command that uh, doesn't agree with the conscience, the kid has a two against one advantage. It is senseless rule against something that you know is not wrong. And kids are really tempted to rebel. It's sort of like the not smoking rule, you know. It was, uh, my father would never make commands like that. He didn't smoke, could, can't, still can't understand why I do, um, uh, or drinking, or um, I was the only kid in high school with long hair with his parents' blessing, at his parents' suggestion. <laughs> I can remember I get, driving around the Beltway in Ann Arbor, 1968, and uh, Dad and I alone in the car, Ford LTD station wagon. And he said, "Uh, Evan, uh, I gather you'd like to have long hair. I said, yes, sir, because I was a good kid. He said, well, go ahead, grow it as long as you want. Just keep it clean and neat for your mother's sake. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> and off I went to school. Every other long haired at school was a rebel. I was an obedient child of a pastor. <laughs> he wasn't a pastor, though. So. so, this practice, when it's the conscience thing, when you find yourself giving them more latitude, you, 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 when you step in with an authority remark, it's agreeable to what there's the Holy Spirit in their heart is on them about they start to think, ah, oh, my parents, they really know. They really know what's right. I know what's right. Showing them how to self-govern. Now, the next one, I thought I'd better get that into a, one of the slides. Yeah. Wisdom from above is antithetical to the rat bastard. <laughs> and I said, you know, when I did this, I said, you no, Evan, you're enjoying that way too much. <laughs> you better look it up. Because what if there was some awful meaning that I didn't know because I was a big innocent. And uh, <laughs> so I looked it up, and even the Urban Dictionary defined it like it really is just a rotten person who, as everybody knows, is just a rotten person, treats everybody rotten. But wisdom from above is antithetical to it. I have this passage here in James 3. This is what, especially fathers, showing. Good life, who is wise in understanding among you by his good life, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be bo- do not boast and be false to the truth. This wisdom is not such as comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, devilish. For will je- jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above, and fathers, this is especially fathers. The, the fear things or the living by impulse or uh, being deceived, all sorts of things may apply to the women. This, rat bastards are men. Because they don't know how to be wise from God. Pure, then peaceable. Gentle, and then the big one, open to reason. As your kids hit the age where they're, you're supposed to be giving them the decision and the keys and there's a difference of opinion you're granting them authority in their life it's like when ever you ask someone to do a job unless you're going to tell them every step of how to do it you're going to expect that they will do it the way they do it that's the the grant you don't want to say here's You know, 20 bucks, go buy yourself an album. You don't want to start saying, but not this band and not that band and not this band. You want to be open to what you have granted. You also want to be open in discussions to what they're saying, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, without uncertainty or insincerity. That's just such a wonderful father description. Who's got purity and peaceability and gentleness. And accessibility in a mind that is not just shut up, that way I listen, what rock and roll I listen to, or you know what theology I belong to. It's just got to be this way, got to be that way. we had two counseling situations in the last couple days. Women we didn't know, who uh, just were being crushed under men like this, who wouldn't know wisdom from above if it bit them. And it's just sad, because there had been decades of their lives destroyed, and children destroyed by really stupid men. (laughs) One of the last points is this danger of part. That means partial. I don't want to see, it's a long, small type, I realize. A partial application only gives ground to religion or irreligion instead of the holy. To the degree I don't do what's right when I'm partial. When I say, yeah, I like the part about you know, hugging the kids. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this part. I'm going to do that part. Whatever part you don't do, whatever part you don't pick up of whatever is right, even if you don't agree with what I've said, whatever is the right way to rear the child, if you pull back, you're going to give ground to negative elements of the things you ought to have. You will get religion or irreligion instead of holiness. And most parents are happy with religion as long as it's not irreligion. Severity or lawlessness instead of government. So the parent comes on with all sorts of rules or the kids run amok instead of being disciplined. To self-service instead of height, where the kids think they're all that and they're, um, they don't realize there's a God in heaven. And to desperation or distance instead of affection parents who throw themselves at their kids hoping, trying to get something, some family back, or they just don't care anymore. Glad to see the kid leave instead of the affection. Partial goes that direction. It steps away from what you want to have. And you're supposed to have or get, get across to them the true measure of certain things. I have them listed here. The divine, the order, the height, the joy. The, one of the best things you can get out of your kids is questions asking you more about what you have. Wanting more of what you have. Wanting to understand more of what you have. And if you have a greater sense of the divine and knowing God, greater order, you know, your oughtness and ordinate value is much more crystal clear to you than it is to them. So they ask you questions about those things. You have a sublimity to your sense of height, nobility, humility, and joy. If you've done it right, they're always wanting and following along volitionally, not because they're under you in some obedience necessity, but because you've—they've always seen you as their uh, master of life. Now, they won't always succeed. You won't always succeed. I have this one of my favorite verses: First Thessalonians five fourteen. And we exhort you, brethren, admonish the idlers, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. Be patient with them all. You know, if everything were to be tossed over the side or disowned because of failure, we'd all be disowned, we'd all be destroyed. We none of us we all liked the patience that came to us. We took a long time getting to where we are, and into the grace of God to the degree we are. So Remember that when you have authority in people's lives, and when the calamities come, use the scriptural injunction for calamities of the moral nature. What if your daughter comes home pregnant, not because she was sleeping around and profligate, but she did it one time, and she got lucky, and she's repentant? How do you, or she's not? Doesn't kind, just kind of miffed, just kind of. What do you do? Galatians, if any brother is overtaken and in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore them in a spirit of gentleness, looking to yourself likewise lest you to be tempted. It applies no, no less to parents than it does to just Christian to Christian. You who are spiritual, you look to yourself that you're to, to be tempted, but you restore people, you realize that that grace, the grace of God, is this great and wonderful thing that can get you through. And this is a time where both my father suggested it to us, my daughter suggested it to us. So we thought, you know, we just mentioned that communicating your own struggles, if you are competent adults and you've gotten that height thing and that godliness thing and that discipline thing going and your affection, everything seems to tie together and you're walking, you know, six inches off the deck in your kid's mind. I couldn't imagine my father sinning. I I, I had to listen to his stories to hear about his sins because I couldn't picture it. And it's good and healthy to know that your parents have been tempted in many of the ways like you have, especially a young man going through sexual temptation. It's good for his father to be clear with him about, "Hey, yeah, I've been there. Current or past it shows how grace is poured out. All these things are meant to lead us to repentance, That. Do you, uh, do you not know that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, Romans 2 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians seven ten. 10, we talked about this on the porch the other night for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation and brings no regret, but worldly grief produces death so those things can still happen, you can still be faced with, you know, abrupt or sudden, oh my kid tripped and fell Or I, as a parent, tripped and fell. But if you've had a model of Christianity instead of churchianity, you know that the grace of God is there to be accessed. You confess it, and you make it right, and you let them know. You know, my father's teaching on on confession, you confess to God. God's who you sinned against. And then you go let the person that was involved in the sin know that you know that you sinned against them you confessed it to God, and God has forgiven you. And you know you, you wanted to let them know. Sometimes you have to let, let your kids know that you wronged them. Sometimes you spank somebody unjustly. We did that to Davis once for Michael's sins. And Michael, I think, is satisfied about that. Because she never paid for that sin. In these successes, in these successes, my my daughter shared with me the other day on the phone um, that we've we've had a successful family. We haven't we don't have much money, but or fame, which we're open to.
1: Yeah, <laughs> star our kids.
0: Which have had anything that we they needed us or should put in, and she said, you know, there's some dangers to success. There is critical spirit, patting yourself on the back, comparative just easy to come up. You're walking through some sort of moment of bliss. Your kids are tidy in a row and, and it's not because you're really over tight, it's because you're just really wise. And it can, you can really look down on other people. It's a real temptation. Um, and it, success can also, what I mentioned just about sharing about the uh, your own temptations. Your kids can have this sense of being alien to the family because they're in the temptation, they know what it is, and they're looking back into their family and it doesn't look like it ever happens to them. Because the family is successful, they just know their own temptation and their own sin. So sometimes success of the family can be a stumbling block for the kid in the family because they feel alone and alienated in their sin. So be aware that you have a good testimony that's clear about, clear about that. And so to end... I have this Exodus 34 passage. I had those dangers of success down at the bottom, and I moved them up. But Exodus 34 says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord of God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love to thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who, but will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. You want to be sure. Realize that failing is pushing calamity generationally down. Sometimes God just sick of you and will just cut you off. You know, <laughs> if anyone curses his father and his mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. It's, uh, I know it's important, child rearing is important to us, it's sort of like just a phenomenon that has to go on, but in the Bible, and I was thinking about this as I was meditating on it at the end of today, putting these slides together, the promises of God have always been big on descent. Listen to this, and he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven, and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your descendants be and he believed the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Central to the argument of faith in the New Testament, that scripture, central to, you look at all the promises of God, they're so big on your descendants. So uh, it's such a, uh, uh, might be for the modern man, we're so self-absorbed that it becomes hidden to us, but the joy of setting up um, faithfulness, generational, it can be done. And um, I'm grateful to be, you know, not having to be the first generation. And my father was. And my, his children were all in the light. Our children all in the light. And I'm just grateful to see my brothers and sister with their Christian children without problems. <laughs> They've all been sinners, but, you know, you know without, you know, the, the, the problems of this world. And there's a variety of theologies out there but they've been serving the same Lord with the same kind of wisdom about how they reared the kids. The end. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we're very grateful that you care for our descendants. We ask that we develop a care for that at a point where we give ourselves in our conversations with our spouses and our plans how we go forward that we would be rearing kids that are a credit to your kingdom and a credit to us in your son's name. Amen.